Welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm your host, Ross Chevalier. I write and speak frequently about the joys and benefits of home recording. It was, however, recently brought to my attention that while I talk about recording interfaces, I've never done a primer on what one is, what to look for, and why there can be such a significant variance in purchase price. Fair point. A recording interface, also known as an instrument interface or an audio interface, takes an analog signal from your instrument, or your voice, and converts it to a digital signal that can be used by software built for the purpose of recording live music. We call this software a Digital Audio Workstation, or DAW, D-A-W. And I'll be doing a primer on those in a coming episode. At a very high level, an interface sounds like and is a simple analog digital input. Most interfaces also include a digital to analog converter in the outputs so you can connect a monitoring speaker. Good studio monitors and how to choose them, well, that's another podcast topic to come. The signal flow from a basic interface for the guitar or bass player has an input that is high impedance, capable to match the impedance of the signal from your instrument. On these interfaces, these are typically marked as high Z or high Z. At the most basic level, that's all you need. A high impedance input through the analog to digital converter to the computer. Most of the connections to the computer in these interfaces is commonly USB. And because bandwidth demands are not huge, Many interfaces that you will purchase today are still clocked at the old USB 2.0 rate. With the proper cable, you can plug these older USB 2 devices into more common present USB 3.x or USB-C inputs, but remember that the interface itself isn't leveraging that bandwidth. A more powerful interface will introduce a microphone or line input usually both. It's commonly found as a single input that can accept a balanced XLR input from a microphone, that's the three-pin connector, or a balanced line-level signal that is low impedance, and that input may be coming out of a mixer or other line-level device. Some preamp pedals offer this option for direct-to-desk recording, not requiring a power amplifier or speaker cabinet at all. And we've spoken on this podcast and in the articles about some devices that do precisely this. Most all interfaces that offer a microphone line input will also include a preamplifier in the device to raise the signal of these low impedance inputs. The maker of the preamp and its audio characteristics have a lot to do with the cost of an interface, or at least the price charge. There's also then an input level control to bring levels up or down and prevent clipping of that preamp input. Most all devices with microphone preamps also offer a function called phantom power. Some microphones, such as condenser microphones and ribbon microphones, require power to operate their built-in microphone functions. The industry standard for phantom power is 48 volts and you will see a switch or button 
on a phantom power capable device to turn this on or off. You do need to check your microphone to determine if it needs phantom power or not. Dynamic microphones like the ubiquitous Shure SM57 used to mic amplifiers for decades don't require phantom power, but a terrific vocal recording microphone typically does. As you move up in the available range of interfaces, you're going to find more inputs. Could be in the way of XLR inputs that also do line level, but also dedicated one quarter inch balanced line inputs. There really is no benefit to buying an interface that has more inputs than what you're going to use at one time. No need to go huge when you're starting out. For a guitarist, a bassist, or a solo vocalist, one or two inputs is usually sufficient. Now, if you're miking up a drum kit in the per drum and per cymbal fashion, well, you're in a different place and you're going to be best served by a separate mixing board to manage individual levels rather than trying to get an interface with a huge number of inputs. But if you want during the mixing and production phases to be able to manage each drum and cymbal independently, then you're going to want an interface with the correct number of microphone inputs to suit your drum recording style. Similarly, if you want to record your band while they play live, you're going to need more inputs on the interface. It is possible to find interfaces with 1, 2, 4, 8, or even 16 individual inputs. But remember, as the input count increases, so does the price, and the number of maker options diminishes. It used to be that recordists wanted to have really superb preamps in their interfaces because the preamp is the most important line of control for the sound. A universal audio preamp sounds different from a Neve preamp, which is different from an SSL preamp. However, the availability of plugins that emulate the characteristics of a specific preamp is greater than ever before, and for the home or casual recordist, a decent basic preamp along with a good plugin that's applied in post-production can definitely get you very close to the real thing. Your interface may also incorporate a low-cut filter designed to cut out room rumble. They're basically on-off devices and tend to work between about 20 hertz and about 60 hertz. Try them out for your specific recording scenario, and if you find a benefit, you use it. And if you don't, well, you don't. Your interface may also have a fixed pad. A pad is a signal attenuator, usually set to about minus 20 decibels. This is used when you have a very hot signal that even at a very low input level still overloads the input. Watch the meters on your interface because you will know right away if the pad is required on a particular input. Invoking the pad allows you then to manipulate the input level control with much le greater levels of granularity. Some interfaces run on what's called bus power. They don't have their own AC adapter. However, the more capable the interface, the more likely that it's going to demand its own power source. So this may be a consideration for you if you do a lot of run-and-gun recording where AC power is hard to find. The outputs on an interface will typically be balanced line outs and or monitor outs. 
Monitor outputs are typically balanced as well, and they will go to powered studio monitor speakers. These speakers come in different sizes and have different sound reproduction characteristics. This is why in pictures from recording studios, you see many different speaker pairs in the control room. The mixer and the producer will validate the sound through different speakers as part of their process. Although for most of us, a good pair of neutral powered monitors will get you most all of the way to the end and it's gonna sound just great. I cannot overemphasize the requirement for a decent pair of powered monitors though. They don't need to be massive or even have a ton of power. Alternatively, you could mix and produce with a really good set of studio headphones, but you may find that mixing only with headphones doesn't always sound great when you put the signal through big speakers. Fortunately, there are plugins specifically built to aid in mixing and production when you're using only headphones. So you're now probably asking, okay, what do I buy? You want to look for an interface with minimal latency. A USB 3 or USB-C interface, one that's clocked for that, will have less latency than a USB 2 interface, but it's going to cost you a bit more. A Thunderbolt-capable interface has even less latency, but the number of options drops and the price jumps. If we start at what are, in my opinion, excellent starter interfaces, look at the options from Focusrite. They have really good preamps, and their devices are now available with a USB 3.0x interface. They're easy to use, and while they don't do onboard plugin processing, as devices they are super efficient. You can also, in the same price point range, look at interfaces under the PreSonus brand. PreSonus was acquired by Fender in 2022. Their preamps are quite good, and again, the units are very easy to use. Both of these interfaces include some basic plugins as well as starter DAWs. Focusrite includes the ability to download Ableton Lite or Pro Tools Lite, or both. PreSonus includes the artist version of their excellent Studio One DAW. Stepping up a bit in price, we come to the Universal Audio Volt interfaces. They're still USB, but includes some hardware-based advantages, including the well-loved UA preamps, and in the X76 range of Volt devices, the Universal Audio 1176 compressor. While you may not think much about a compressor when you're playing live, you're definitely gonna want one when you're recording. And the 1176 implementation is a really well done and very low cost example of the FET based UA1176 rack compressor. Universal Audio also offers bundles of other UA plugins when you're buying, but you're going to have to check with your seller for whatever the current promotion is. As I prepare this podcast, the current promo adds the superb Teletronics LA-2A tube compressor plugin and UA's own really lovely plate reverb plugin. While there is not a DAW included, Ableton Lite and Pro Tools Lite are both free to download. But in my opinion, unless you have a Mac that includes the underappreciated excellence of GarageBand, 
you probably want to look into purchasing one of the Presona Studio One packages. This is just my opinion, but the learning curves on both Ableton and particularly on Pro Tools are quite long, and I've found that the free versions have some fairly significant limitations. Moving into a price range starting near $1,000, you will find the Universal Audio Apollo interfaces. These devices have their own processor engines and can run any UA Unison plugin directly in the box to reduce the load on the computer. The amount of capability in the device is dependent on the number of cores in the interface. More cores cost more. The value of having cores in the device has diminished as our computers have become much more powerful. And UA now even offers plugins that can work without a UA interface being anywhere in the chain. This is a subscription service for plugins called Spark. For a bit more money, Neve now has a simple interface device using preempt technology from the Neve 88RS channel strip that's used in so many studio control room boards. Neve stuff is pricey, but if you want the specific sound of a Neve preamp that comes from Neve that is not an emulation in a plugin, this is the route to go. You can often buy your interface in a bundle form that includes a microphone, headphones, and sometimes even monitor speakers. I won't tell you that any of the components added in these bundles are particularly excellent, as far as I can see and hear, but man, as get-to-work starter kits, they deliver a great value in a ready-to-go package. Presonus, Focusrite, and Universal Audio Volt all offer these options. The interface gets your instrument and or your voice, or as in my case, someone who can actually sing's voice into the computer. You'll still need some software to do the recording, the editing, mixing, and final production. And we'll be coming back to that in our conversation about DAWs in our next episode. I hope that you found this episode helpful. Recording at home or in the practice hall is easier and better than ever. Always feel free to send an email or post a comment. I read and respond to all. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the articles and to the podcast so you get notified when a new one is posted. Until next time, I'm Ross Chevalier, and I wish you peace. Uh-huh.